what God downloaded on my heart immediately was that I was supposed to talk tonight about the God of weakness. And some of you are saying, where's that in the Bible? There's nowhere that it says his name is God of weakness. He's the almighty God. And I understand. But I want to I talk about the God of weakness. The vulnerable God. One of the questions that people have often asked over history is, why has God made truth so vulnerable? And indeed he has. If he didn't, we'd all have it figured out and we'd live, live in a pristine world. But God indeed has made truth vulnerable from the beginning. I understand, you know, we want to be doctrinally sound, we want to have good theology, we want to be truthful to God's word, we want to fear the Lord, you know, etc. But God has indeed made his word very vulnerable. I mean, just consider from the very beginning, God created the earth in six days, and what did he do on the seventh day? Anybody remember? He rested. Now, we, we can make that theological and we say, well, God didn't really sleep. He didn't really need to rest. Well, obviously, God doesn't need to do anything. But we don't need to imagine that we need to understand everything about God either. Come on, man. How can we ever understand everything about God unless we're God? God rested on the seventh day. And he set apart that seventh day for man to realize how weak he was. And for man to enjoy the results of his work six days. To kick back and go, you know, that food that we've been growing, we didn't even have to cook it because it was prepared the night before. Before the Sabbath began. And the Sabbath was a time for what Jeremiah calls sanctification. You know, the Lord made the Sabbath for our sanctification. And we know Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And we understand that we buzz so much with being overstimulated and have so much to do and so much importance and so many places to go and people to see and all this and that that we have no time for rest, right? Because we think we're strong and we think we're important. But the God of weakness, even at the point of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, he came asking the question that we think we've always asked. Where are you? God said, where are you? What a vulnerable question. He missed them. From the very beginning, he missed Adam and Eve. He felt the separation. And we think, where is God when it hurts, has been our question. But it started with God. God is weak. God is weak. When I didn't know the Lord and I was running from Him, or didn't know that He knew me, didn't know really know he existed because I didn't really know him as he really was. The night that I came to know him, I came home to my cousin 
an aunt and uncle's house, and my aunt said, your dad stopped by, and my first thought was, I'm going to face the music, I'm in trouble. My dad wants to beat me, I thought. Now, there's no reason I should have thought that my dad was going to do that, because all growing up, I learned from my dad that weakness is a gift. He would cry almost every day in tenderness, and I caught that all growing up. I didn't understand it, but I caught that. And when that letter opened up and I looked at it, expecting to face the music, all I could see was tenderness, mercy, love, worry for my good, and that unlocked my heart. And suddenly I realized that my dad was a weak man who loved me. And my first thought was to go to John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So I went there indeed, and I read down the page to 19 where it said, the one whose deeds are dark is not wanting to come into light to be exposed. And I realized at that point, I hadn't up until this point wanted to come into the light to be exposed. But finally, I was weak enough to surrender to God. Now, it's taken me a long time. It's been almost 15 years of, and some of you probably have three times as much of that in the Lord. But for 15 years, <laughs> I've had to slowly come to terms with coming back to the beginning. And that's really what God is doing with us. He's bringing us back to the beginning, you know. Phrases like our first love, our uh, just the simple love God with all your heart, the first commandment, you know. Things like that are ways of God expressing the simplicity of devotion to Him. And we complicate everything. You know why? Because we think God wants to club us. We think God wants us to face the music. Okay? We, we imagine that in God and we approach God as though he's this sadistic ruler that demands all our allegiance. And if that was the case, then why do we get away with so much? If we're honest. Why do we get away with so much? And God has made himself vulnerable in that people get cancer. My little girl... If I had a way to show the picture, I would. My wife just texted me a picture. She's been throwing up. And she's been falling asleep on a chair or on the floor. And when I saw her, you know what that does to my heart? To see my little girl, pale, two-year-old girl, full of life, laying there weak. It touches me. This is what happens with God when he looks on his people. He's touched with their infirmity. He is the God of weakness. He's the humble God. You know, you get questions like, well, if God knew that people would fall, why would he make them? Why would God make people if he knew someone were going to go to hell? And you see, that question causes us to get philosophical and intellectual and strong and smart and we go, we get answers 
that don't satisfy because it's already coming from the wrong point of view in the first place. Why did God make people that unfortunately would go to hell? It's because he subjected himself to weakness. He was vulnerable enough to make a people and a risk and understand that they could choose to go their own way. We get away with a lot. And don't hear me wrong, I'm not talking about a license to do whatever we want. I'm, I'm talking about the freedom that we can find when we confess our weakness, when we realize our infirmity in light of the God of weakness. God is a God that subjected himself to weakness. And I, I just want to let you guys know, this is kind of out of my ordinary type of message. And that's how I found that it's probably God doing this. Is I'm used to having pretty clear, line-by-line, theological teaching. And I always want to bring it into a vibrant connection with God. But I'm very word-oriented. But there's times where the Lord will stop me from that and provoke you to think a little bit. Because, I mean, if you're honest, how many of you would be a, have a little bit of offense or hesitancy to hearing a term God of weakness? I do, and I'm the one talking about it. So, here's the challenge right now. Can you get weak enough and be vulnerable enough to be able to receive what God shows in His Word in light of this idea of the God of weakness? It's so key. Communication in marriage is about embracing weakness. Think about that. Divorces happen because we prop up artificial strength instead of crumbling and getting vulnerable with each other. Communication breaks down when we're unwilling to be weak. And the only, here's the thing about God. He, is, he never calls us to do anything that He Himself didn't already do first. He initiates. And we would say, well, He doesn't have to repent. I know. But it's kind of like He did. In Jesus. Isn't that crazy? He didn't have wickedness of his own, but he chose to atone for us. So we realized we couldn't atone for us. What does it mean when he says he repented that he made man on the earth? Or that he was he regretted that he made man on the earth? Because man corrupted everything and didn't live up to the design that God intended them to live up to. It broke his heart. His heart is broken. And he displays that in his son. 
So whatever God calls us to do, he first did himself. That's what the God of weakness entails. He actually went to the cross and hung there. God helps us remember how weak we are. I mean, just, let's just think about a few very practical things. How often do we need to eat? How often do we need to drink water? How easily do we get dehydrated? How often do we need to sleep? How dependent are we on the seasons to change? How dependent are we on the sun to rise? How dependent are we on relationships with each other? How dependent are we on God's word? Two of the biggest statements that I've heard in 15 years of being a believer is, I don't understand my Bible, and I don't have time to read it. I don't have true fellowship, and I can't find it here. What's the problem? We don't know how to embrace our weakness. If we embrace our weakness, fellowship will come easy. God's word would be in our hearts. But because we're intimidated by the Bible, by the Bible scholars in the ivory towers, we subject ourselves to alienation from it because we think that we can't really understand it and we don't want to get it wrong. And what if we believe this and we tell somebody and they say it's not true? I'm not really worthy or capable and I won't, I'll just leave it here. Or the fellowship thing. I feel like I just can't connect. People just don't understand me. I just don't feel welcome. Of course, there's truth to that because you've got people that are too strong that don't understand how to receive you. But guess what? You have the same problem. Somebody's got to start. Why are we all waiting around for the other one to start? But God, though he was rich, became poor that we through his poverty might become rich. Man, it's offensive. I hate that I can't even put my two cents in. God already did it. What's holding us back? We don't believe it. Walk with me through Hebrews a little bit. Look at Hebrews 2, 16 to 18. I think I learned that from David Postle without even realizing. He says, walk with me through Zechariah, through Isaiah, whatever. And that phrase just kind of sticks in, in me because, you know, he's such a gentle old man. So unassuming. So welcoming and warm. that You know, it's like saying, he's not sitting here as this high-minded man like, listen to what I know about the Bible. Oh, do you want to follow me? <laughs> and he's like, Walk with me as a weak man through this Bible. <laughs> it's awesome. So speaking of which, look at Jesus in Hebrews 2, 16 through 18. Assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in all things, 
in all things. He was made like his brothers. Think about in all things. Think about everything you go through as a human being. Jesus was made like us in all things. Try not to just too quickly get too technically theological about it. And just think about it practically. A human being. He was a human being. He is a human being. But he lived a human life for 30 plus years. Let that touch your heart a little bit. Jesus, God in the flesh, becomes a human being. Let that touch your heart. He understands it all. Because he already did it all. Perfectly. In weakness. Touch your heart. Jesus was like us in all ways. He doesn't make a qualifier in it. Jesus, he, he doesn't have to make a qualifier. Well, it wasn't really this, but this. Who cares? We can't figure that out. He became like us in all things. Yes. Just receive that. Yes. He loves humanity. He made humans for himself first, above anything else. And he made everything else for us. That's intense. He made everything else for us. I love James 3, 7. It's one of those verses that you could just pull out of context and enjoy. This is totally against my thinking, by the way. But, but it really is. Every animal, every bird of the sky, every fish, every land animal has been tamed by man and, and will, can, can be tamed by man and has been tamed by man. Think about that. How powerful is that? That God's given us an ability to learn how to tame animals. Where'd that come from? Anybody know? It's very beginning. With Adam. I know it doesn't happen perfectly because we're not acquainted with our weakness yet. That'll happen when the resurrection comes. That's this life process. To get well contented with your weakness, like Paul. He was learning to be well contented with weakness, so grace rested upon him in power. So look at this Jesus of ours. It's a sanctified mind. He belongs to me. He's my Jesus. That one thing that God wants us to say, mine about, is him. It's mine. He wants us to covet him. So Jesus says this, or about Jesus has said this. He made, he's made like his brothers in all things. He became a merciful and faithful high priest. What kind of high priest? So what's merciful? What's that mean? Came to meet our need, right? He didn't come with a big stick. But he came to meet us in our condition. And he pitied it. A.W. Tozer said, he walked among the disaster zone. He came and walked among the disaster zone. And got well acquainted with it. How many times do you read in the Bible, and God looked down or said, let us go down and see if it's the case. 
How many times did he give people opportunity to repent for so long? Gave Nebuchadnezzar a full year. Gave the people in the time of the ark 120 years to Noah building the ark. The patience of God is good as our salvation. Look what it says here. He's merciful and faithful. So he's not only acquainted with our condition, but he's able to meet us. He's faithful. In things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Because he was tempted, because he was provoked to take up his strength and make things happen, and he resisted it and submitted in obedience, though he was a son, even to the point of death, death on the cross. So he was touched with weakness to the point of death and never, ever thought equality with God was something that he should take on for himself again. But he waited and he trusted the Father. He kept entrusting himself to the faithful shepherd, to his Father, to the end. And he's our pattern for that. He helps us get acquainted with our weakness and he can come to our aid. So he's merciful, he's faithful. Chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. So then drop down to verse 2. He can deal gently, speaking of high priests that God selects over the years, with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. That includes Jesus as the high priest. He was beset with weakness as a man. Therefore, he knows experientially how to deal gently with us. David said, your gentleness or condescension, your meeting my need, has made me great. God's gentleness, his tenderness toward us, makes us great. Makes us confident, makes us rise up to design of how we're to live. Our identity is in him. If God didn't win us by his mercy, then we have to win his approval some other way. But if he, being lifted up on a cross, would draw men to himself, then anybody is able to call on his name. But if you have to prove something I was going to say that only some people can understand God, but it's actually, if you have to prove yourself to God, then some people are deluded enough to think they have. You see the deception? He spoke through the cross and he really meant it. He really meant it. 
He doesn't like our strong ability. He doesn't like our strength. He doesn't delight in horses or the legs of men. But those who hope in his mercy and fear his name. And the fear of the Lord is great confidence and his children will have a refuge. But the fear of the Lord is to is to turn away from anything of the self-effort and ability. That's hard to do. So we want to prove ourselves. And his mercy keeps bringing us back to his vulnerability, his weakness, to where we, we hold to nothing but, but God's affirming voice. That's the only thing that can sustain us and be our pilot in this dark world is that God actually wants to sustain us in our weakness through his weakness. That's the only thing that can sustain us and keep us from deception is understanding God's weakness. The fact that the almighty God doesn't have to force anything is astounding. It's simply astounding. That's power. That's a powerful God that doesn't have to prove anything. I love how it sings in the old hymn, uh, um, is it in um, Jesus, Jesus, how I love thee. And this is how I proved you, or and or. How I've proved you. Right. Not you proved, but how I've proved. How my life dependency has been on you and I've seen it and you've seen me through. In my weakness. He's the God of weakness. He's the great high priest who sympathizes. Think about that. He's the great high priest who sympathizes. So come to that throne of grace. Because this great high priest, this great king, extends his scepter to you. That's grace. That the king calls you near to his throne. The great high priest. Because he sympathizes. Because he's been through it. It's the only way to real healing. Yes. Is to understand the God who sympathizes. I don't need to have this big psychoanalysis of the, the root behind the root behind the root behind the root behind the root. And all we're doing is rooting. <laughs> it's easier than that. So let it go. Like he did. Unto death. He really loves you. He's not surprised by anything of your weakness or your sin. And may I say this in, you understand the context of what I'm saying. Jesus really doesn't care about your sin. (laughs) He doesn't. And what I mean by that is to try to qualify without overqualifying it because it's good to hear something and go, what? And let it kind of sink in a little bit. But he really doesn't care about your sin because you're not that powerful. Okay, it's 
Your sin can affect a lot of people, right? Generation upon generation. What you do affects a lot, right? In our sphere, in our way of understanding, right? But what I'm saying is God's not intimidated by your sin. In fact, He'd much rather have you bear it to Him. Because He doesn't want it, He wants you. And sin is what actually makes us think God doesn't want us. You see? You see how twisted? See, we're eating from the wrong tree. And we need to realize that for years we've eaten from the wrong tree. In many streams of the church. In fact, I could say every stream of the church, every denomination, every expression of the church has in some point been eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. And we try to figure out how to make our values, our biblical values, see that, biblical values, our boundaries that keep us out from God. All the while thinking, God wants me to, you know the old one, the old phrase, don't smoke, don't drink, and don't hang with girls that do. Okay, there's new ones beyond that now. And we have to discern them. In the people uh, like us that are into the prayer movement, there's great things happening. But one of the weaknesses, weaknesses is, that kind of weakness, is that fasting can become our righteousness. We've got to be very careful. What fasting's purpose is, it is to reveal our barrenness and our weakness. To help us get acquainted with it. And embrace it and like it. To enjoy the fact that we're weak and dependent on God. But I would say you should not fast if your heart's not ready for that. Because otherwise, fasting is just going to establish self-righteousness. So make sure that God is leading you in fasting in that way. Now, that doesn't mean, don't go on the other extreme where it means, well, I can't fast now. But make sure you allow God to show you why, behind the what. Because there are so many things that shut us out from the life of God. There are so many ways that we put up walls and boundaries and values in the name of values. And all the while, it doesn't touch God. It's God of weakness. He's the unapproachable made approachable. He dwells in an unapproachable life, but he made himself approachable in his son. Look at Hebrews 7. Verse 24. But he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Hence also, he's able to save forever, or to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. It was fitting that he, that we, 
should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily like those high priests who offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. This he did, what? Offered up sacrifices for our sins. He didn't offer them for himself, but he became the sacrifice himself. He became as though he sinned. He became sin. He didn't sin, but he became sin. How weak is that? That God became sin in His Son. He didn't have anything to repent of. But He did on our behalf. That is wild. That God would go that low. That He'd be that weak. That He would actually offer Himself. So we don't understand the cross enough to run to Jesus. But as we do... As it's revealed, as God hanging on a tree, dying for us, oh, we'll get it. We'll live completely different. We'll be confident. We'll be weak. And the writer of the Hebrews wants it to be really clear. So what does he say? He says, the main point in what I've been saying in verse 1, chapter 8, is this. We have such a high priest. So he's been emphasizing He's merciful, he's faithful, he's approachable, he's gentle. He became the sacrifice. Hey, we really have one. He really is our high priest. The great high priest who's, a, who's sympathetic about our weakness. We have that kind of priest, we really do. We really have that kind of priest. We have such a high priest. So what is our posture in light of this? Hebrews 9, verse 24. For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true, but in heaven itself now, to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he should offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood not his own. Otherwise he would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once, at the consummation of the ages, he's been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes the judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once, get that, he took on our judgment. So Christ also died once, and faced the judgment for us. He faced the judgment for us. The God of weakness died under the wrath of God in our place. And then, this God of weakness who died in our place bore the sins of many, and he shall appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin. Without sin, 
He buried it. He took it on and he, he buried it in the grave. And he rose without reference to sin. And he comes back without reference for sin to those who have allowed him to pay it in full upon his death. And those that have will eagerly wait for him in weakness. And that's what we call prayer. But here's a, a sign of not embracing our weakness. Something we call false humility. Where we kind of downplay who we are. Which is actually us begging for people to prop us up. To exalt us. To honor us. To give us uh, goosebumps of they like me. Instead of receiving your confidence from God. And just being real, if you mess up, just be quick to talk to somebody if you feel like you rejected them or they rejected you. And being real about your weakness and your sin and quickly confessing it to God and, and coming into grace and into fellowship with Him in view of His sacrifice. And His sacrifice, Him on that tree, is the only thing that will sustain us in this life. As he remains weak in our understanding, that we see him as the God of weakness, we'll embrace ours. As soon as we see him as the all-powerful God in the sense that he wields power toward humanity, that's his main thing, that's his first thing. As soon as we step out of that, that cross being before our understanding, we start moving into other kinds of sanctification. Other kinds of imagined ways to make ourselves holy. But if it's not the God of weakness on the cross, sanctifying us, making us set apart, then we're boasting in chariots, or we're boasting in horses. We're, we're moving away from the grace of God. We can't sanctify ourselves. But we can pursue sanctification, and it's called weakness. Interesting. Pursue sanctification and peace with all men, or none of you will see the Lord. Isn't that interesting? You won't see the Lord, obviously, in the end for salvation, but because you don't see Him now. He just said, strengthen your weak knees and elbows and make straight paths for your feet so that which is out of joint may be healed. Yes. Recognize your weakness right there. And straighten it out and let God deal with your infirmity, with your weakness. Yes. Don't walk around and... The, the weakness like this, you know, and, and hide it. But expose it before God and, and depend on Him. That verse is quoted from Isaiah 35, where Israel knew that God would come with vengeance for His enemies, for Israel's enemies, and give her everlasting joy and wipe away every tear, and shame would forever be lifted. The lame would leap like a deer. The highway of holiness would forever be established. I mean, you want to talk about the God of weakness, look at Israel, his people. 
What's their cry at the end of their life? Prophesied in Ezekiel 37. When their bones have dried up and their hope was gone, then God will call them out of their graves. The valley of dry bones, the, the, the wind. Yeah, we can, we can see that as, you know, something about the Holy Spirit's work. Sure, I, I see that. But historically, who is he talking to and what's he prophesying of? The resurrection from the dead. Bodily. So the weakness of God is that he needs to resurrect us. We'll never be saved until we're resurrected. So therefore, our whole life is getting acquainted in the school of weakness so that God can raise us up in the end. That's why Jesus said, eat my flesh, drink my blood, and I'll raise you up in the last day. You need to eat lamb for dinner every day. If you eat the lamb, he'll raise you up. But if you don't see your need for the lamb and the blood to be digested every day, then what will you believe in? That you can work the works of God. He said, Jesus said, they said, how, Jesus, how do you work the works of God? And he said, believe in him who, who God sent. Anybody had a hard time with that verse? I said it because I do. I did and I do. What in the world do I need to do then? Really believe. That's hard work. <laughs> to really believe in the one he sent. To do it all. But that's hard work. Because we're self-righteous. We're stubborn. We're blind. We're strong. But the God of weakness. Oh, he knows how to win our heart. Yes. He truly is the God of weakness. Now, why does that offend us? Because we want to follow a strong God. Because we want to be known as strong. You see what I mean? So we defend God to people. Oh, God's not like that. God didn't do that. Nor did he tell you to. That's not what it means to bear witness about God. Do you hear me? And again, that sounds crazy for me to say because I'm an evangelist and I'm a confrontational evangelist. I like to preach about the day of the Lord. But I'm aware that in our boldness, it's got to be the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that gives us boldness. Or our boldness will be brashness. Our boldness will come from arrogance and alienate people. Now, I'm not afraid of people rejecting the message. What I need to deal with is being afraid of people rejecting me. And how I deal with that is I realize how God allowed himself to be rejected. And when I realize that God's the most rejected being that ever existed and has always existed, what that does to my heart is it causes me to love people well so that when I'm telling them the truth, it moves them because they see God through me in my weakness. So I just want to give an invitation right now as Ryan begins to play for you to be able to respond to the Lord's weakness. You heard me right. Respond to the Lord's weakness. So beautiful. So humble. 
lofty one is so lowly. Let him win your heart tonight. God, we want to be won by you. We don't want to be high-minded. We want to associate with the lowly in society. The lowly of people. Or we don't want to be in it for ourselves. We don't want to be in it for us. You made yourself of no reputation. Who are we to prop ours up? God, would you touch deep in the fibers of our being? Would you go deep underneath the facades? Go deep underneath the plastic that we've made over our heart. God, we want substance. We want the real life. God, we love your weakness. We love your weakness, God. Your gentleness surely has made us great. You have won our heart. We can't prove anything. We can't prove ourselves to you. You've won our heart. I invite you to weep. I invite you to fall on the floor. I invite you to run to the front. I invite you to do whatever expression engages your heart right now with the living God. If you need prayer, if you want hands laid on you, if you're weak enough to be able to receive that, to humble yourself, I welcome you as a weak one myself.